Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews. Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell. And I'm Sam. And I'm Ray. And I'm Lewis. And welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where we talk about and review a rock album of our choice. On this episode, we're going to review Janis Joplin's 1971 album, Pearl. So, Sam, where do you come in with Janis Joplin in this record? Since birth, I, th- I suppose. Uh, my dad had it, and my mom loved Janis Joplin. Uh, I can't remember the first time I heard her, but I remember this being in dad's record collection. and um, It's kind of always, she's always been there. All right. Right. Yeah, I can't pin it down either. She was always around. My oldest sister is a huge Janis Joplin fan. Um, I do remember seeing Pearl in the Greatest Hits, the big album covers at home. My own little personal history with this is I had a friend from high school named Brian Kelly, who when he was walking by, we had built-in shelves in our our library upstairs, and uh, he saw that we had a copy of the uh, Buried Alive, the Janis Joplin bio, um, I told him my sister had already moved out, but she was a big fan. It's where he was kind of perusing that book, and he laughed like crazy. We both did when he found out that we found out that she was voted the ugliest man on campus at the University of Texas. Something that she actually scarred her, and she carried with her for the rest of her life. But you know, when you're like 15, you think that's funny. So um, she kind of came around, like like I said, I was, I was about 15 when uh, 14, 15 when my musical taste really started to split. Um, John Lennon had been killed, and that kind of pushed me into a real big Beatles thing. And then from the Beatles, I went from the Beatles to the Stones and to the Kinks, the Who. I went through all that, and uh, I'm still a big Stones and Beatles fan, and, and Who. The Kinks, not so much. But that kind of had me basically firmly planted in two different worlds for for uh, music. I, I like the modern stuff, but I really dug the... Uh, from 1965 to about 1975, that's where I was just, that was my sweet spot. And she's right in there with them. And that's how I got into Janice. And then, of course, Columbia House came by and I went, oh, let's get the greatest hits on CD. Well, there I am. All right. Lou, what's your story? I knew about Janice Joplin very early. Um, I've got a recording of my uncle asking me about Jimi Hendrix and Janice Joplin. Um, here, check this out. Check it out. Now, Louis, uh, you like Jimi Hendrix? Yeah, I got that tape. What, what did he die of? Overdose. Overdose <laughs> of what? Drugs. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. How about Janis Joplin? She died of COD. Did she? <laughs> was that a bummer or what? It was a bummer. It was a bummer can't think that can you i can't um that's unbelievable I mean, that's, I, I, <laughs> that's incredible i couldn't have been like more than three did you hear the first run fucking star trek on the television behind there i don't know if <laughs> 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 oh my god that makes me feel better about my parenting skills <laughs> <laughs> um i i couldn't have been more than three or four so like the math adds up um Later on in high school, I had dated a girl named Megan, uh, who was obsessed with Janice and Jim Morrison. And I was at the time going through my own little 
Jim Morrison doors thing. So I heard a lot of that while we were dating. You can imagine the train wreck that that relationship was. <laughs> I saw the rose. Um, and for a while that was my only exposure to the story, quote unquote, uh, of her tortured past and downward spiral unofficial or not, you know, and poetic license or, or whatever. But, um, it, then I saw this documentary recently that, uh, is on Amazon prime. That was just amazing. And it's, it's heartbreaking. It really is. Pearl was always in the house as far as I can remember with mom, you know, it was in mom's record stack and Mercedes Benz was something I can, I like that. I sang as a toddler. So me and Bobby McGee was probably a staple on New York FM radio the my whole life growing up as a young child. So that's, that's Pearl. It's, it's part of my DNA. Well, I have a similar story, especially to you, Sam. My father was a big fan of Janice. And when I was a kid, I mean, we're talking from infancy. He had two albums featuring her that he played in regular rotation, Cheap Thrills by Big Brother and the Holding Company and Pearl. So I grew up listening to this music. And I have to admit, as a young kid, I didn't take to her voice right away because I liked clean, pretty female voices as a kid. I, you know, I liked Carly Simon and Linda Ronstadt and Emmy Lou Harris. You know, I preferred listening to those kind of records when I was super young. So Janis Joplin's voice was raw and dirty and I just didn't care for it. It sounded like too harsh or something. I don't know. But I also didn't care for similar male voices to my ears, like Joe Cocker, which my dad also liked. So, you know, it, it just if the, the voice was a little bit unorthodox, I didn't care for it when I was little. But I kept hearing this music. I didn't have a choice. And then at some point, the emotion, I think, in the vocals must have clicked with me because her voice slowly grew on me until I came to really like it and then love it. And she kind of opened the door for me to appreciate more unconventional voices and expand my tastes for them. So that said, I hadn't listened to this album in a long time before preparing for this podcast, and I was surprised to find that I didn't even own it, but I do now. Now I'll lay on you some basic facts about this record, and you know where I got this information from. Come on. Pearl is the second and final solo studio album by American singer-songwriter Janis Joplin, released on January 11th, 1971 on Columbia Records. It was produced by Paul A. Rothschild and was recorded from July 27th to October 4th, 1970 at Sunset Sound Recorders, Hollywood, California. It reached number one on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and is certified four times platinum by the RIAA. And here's the musician's lineup card. We've got the Full Tilt Boogie Band, Janis Joplin on vocals and acoustic guitar, Richard Bell on piano, Ken Pearson on Hammond organ, John Till on electric guitar, Brad Campbell on bass guitar, and Clark Pearson on drums. There are additional musicians, which we'll mention as we see fit. All right, let's head on over to a track-by-track -track analysis of this album. We begin the proceedings with Move Over, written by Janis Joplin. Please don't you do it to me, baby, no. Please don't you do it. 
Sam, what do you think? Oh, man, I love it when it starts off with like, I'm already in. I'm like, the little clicks of the little uh, rim shots just got me, man. And it starts, you know, with these drums, and it's funky, man. And I, I really dig that. I love the guitar following Janice's uh, vocal line. And uh, the guitars on this whole album, by the way, are great. And just a bluesy as fuck, funky start to a, the record, and I love it. And it's, uh, it's got a great solo, and I think it's a fantastic start of the record, and it's one of my favorite Janice songs. I love it. Prof. Well, there's two things I got to mention about this album, period. And this song highlights it. This was a, the first band that she got together that didn't need a singer that she that was put around her. It, this was this band was built around her instead of the other way around with the with the big brother and the holding company. And Paul Rothschild did just an excellent job of not letting the band overpower her voice. He, he captured every nuance in what she could do, which was awesome. But like at the mirror, Sam, the steady drum beat and how Janice sings and is accompanied by the guitar accenting her lyrics. I love when she goes, nah, that, that kind of forebears that this song is about to go off the boil. Although it's a really powerful performance from any vocalist, this song is just Janice warming up, actually. She snarls and ad-libs and emotes all over this smoldering, up-tempo gospel boogie. I wonder how much Robert Plant learned from this song alone. Uh, the guitar solo and that Hammond organ is just, God, that's awesome. The song itself is about a man who breaks it off with her, yet he's still kind of stringing her along, either be her loving man or let her be, this woman and her luck with men. And I'm going to quote this over and over again, but to quote Graham Parsons, she sure could sing. <laughs> Lou? Yeah, that steady basic 4-4 four, four time drum beat that starts this off is just iconic as a matter of fact fish's first album starts off with the same 4-4 four, four, but then it trips off into way way different <laughs> of an experience um and it, janice's voice sounds like a sing it, it's like a trumpet almost the guitar mimicking her melody line the organ is, and the rest of the band kind of stabs the accents as she mocks the person that she's singing to. You say that it's over, but you're still in her face. Move over. Get out of here, loser. Make up your mind. Or let me be. Yeah! Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> wow. The band slams in like fucking Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. <laughs> <laughs> That's not necessarily a bad thing, dude. It's I can almost close my eyes and see Floyd, the bass player, you know, and Ralph <laughs> on organ and Animal on drums. The band just rolls over you and delivers, right? I mean, John Till just delivers this competent Jerry Garcia, like almost Yorma-ish solo uh, blues fucking drenched in that reverb. The organ's pumping out that chord after chord of those delicious, distorted Hammond textbook Southern blues Baptist church tone. By the end of the song, she's screaming like a fucking whirling dervish and stubbed her toe on the boardwalk. <laughs> Great opener. Proved Janice isn't fucking around with this new band. 
Big Brother and a holding company was a decent vehicle, but these guys are just here for one sole purpose. Ray said it, uh, to prop the queen up onto the pedestal and let her shine. She means business, and this proves it. Well, as always, I almost have to give a disclaimer every fucking episode that I'm just going to repeat what everybody else is saying. (laughs) But here we go. So Janice and the band delve into many musical styles on this album. And this first one's pretty much a straight rootsy rocker written by Janice herself that I think is the perfect album opener. We all are saying this. And here comes the Canadian bred full tilt boogie band. Clark Pearson lays down that strident beat we've all been talking about. John Till's guitar, along with Brad Campbell's bass, apes Janice's vocal melody, which you said, Lou. While Ken Pearson on organ and Richard Bell, rest in peace, on piano, stab in at the end of each line. Dun, dun. Then the band settles into a ramshackle groove that keeps the vibe loose and rocking. The piano bangs along and the organ provides heightened atmosphere. And later on, Till gets in a well-executed bluesy solo. You guys all said this already. The production sounds fucking great. All the instruments are clearly separated but blend well together. But I'd expect that because the producer was Paul Rothschild who did all those great Doors records. But this is a Janis Joplin record. And she had one of the great, unique voices in all of rock. She could sing with heartbreaking tenderness or belt out the vocals in a gritty, banshee, whiskey-soaked voice that to me is nothing less than pure emotion. Now, she doesn't unleash her full power on this track, but she mixes vulnerability with seething anger as she gives an ultimatum to her lover. Are you going to be with me or not? Stop fucking around with me. I'm tired of it. I know you like seeing me this way. You expect me to fight like a goddamn mule, but either accept my love or move over. Get out. I love, love, love this track. And the point was driven home for me when I saw a YouTube clip of the band performing this on the Dick Cavett show and just watching Janice throw her entire body into the performance, shaking and dancing and constantly moving as if she was a vessel for the music to move through her. She was utterly mesmerizing. The next track is Cry Baby, written by Jerry Ragavoy and Burt Burns. What you know when I Prof, what do you think? Well, you can't hear this one, or I can't hear this one, without that scene from Look Who's Talking where the baby just starts crying in a full scream. And <laughs> we all have kids, and we've all seen it where you, you've seen your child get hurt, and you see that face, and you just were waiting for that jet <laughs> engine to come at you. <laughs> and it's going to do it. And that's what she does with this. Yep. I love the way that that pounding organ, the drum opens. She uncoils her voice. And then she transitions into such a silky, emotive croon that Billie Holiday would envy in the next second. I'm like, this yes. woman had such control. And I've heard her do this live on the, the sessions that, that Lou was talking about on the in concert, too. She pulled it out with like a plum, like it was no big deal. And I would be like, I'd be breathless if, if I even tried that. I know Garnet Mims made this a classic, even though he didn't write it, but... She just threw this one into a whole different stratosphere. 
And I just, I love how she's like, and the road ends in Detroit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you're from up there, that's exactly how some people would say Detroit. And I just like how that she, she pleads that there's only one thing that you got to do. You got to make it in this world to be a good man to one time to one woman. And uh, as a listener, she delivers this with so much honesty. I kind of feel like I'm interloping in a moment that's very intimate as this woman pours her soul out to this man. She's got a man in her sights and he just got dumped and she's waiting to love him. All he has to do is cry, baby, and she'll be his. This woman was so desperate it wasn't even funny. But great, great song. Lou. Yeah, she stubbed her toe again. <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh, wow. That fucking first note. It's a chord. It's a fucking chord. She sings chords. The lady sings chords. <laughs> There's multiple notes in there. The only way I could achieve that is really to spread Legos across the floor and blindfold myself and put a margarita at the other end. <laughs> she really, really knew how to ring Every drop of soul out of the notes she sang. I mean, I bet she could sing the dictionary and it would sound emotional. Um, another phenomenal classic track. I, I can't say any more about it. Sam. Well, my thunder has been stolen. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, I, I agree uh, with both of you guys. Uh, it's classic Janice. Her performance in the song is, is fucking incredible. I'm, like you said, Ray, she, she pulls back and just so you know she has this dynamic in her voice that uh, she can fill up all the space or very little space if she wants. You know, it's her thing, and uh, it's freaking. And, and in this song, she's gonna love you like nobody else. And check out this ass, man. <laughs> all you gotta do is, you know, like uh, Prof said, be a good man one time to one woman or two women or whatever she wants. It's Janice fucking Joplin. <laughs> she can do whatever she wants. She, another classic song. And uh, yeah, there's two winners, two bangers in a row. Yeah, so this is a cover of the Soul Song written by famed songwriters, producers, Burt Burns and Jerry Ragavoy. And it was first recorded by Garnet Mims and the Enchanters in 1963. Janice opens up right in the beginning with that impressive vocal flourish. How's that go, Lou? <laughs> <laughs> I spread those Legos out great. for you. <laughs> that was great. That was great. And that takes us immediately to the powerful chorus where she lets rip with the big crybaby emotives and organ swells. There's heavy gospel overtones to this track, and that's all over this record. Janice sounds like she's preaching from the pulpit in the quiet, nearly spoken word verses, and it sounds like she's almost pleading for salvation in the choruses. Her voice is nearly going hoarse from the feeling she's channeling. The musical backing takes the dynamic leaps with her, building up through the pre-chorus, the rhythm section gaining in intensity until the piano and organ open up and take over in the chorus. Now, the lyrics are somewhat standard. You know, they weren't written by Janice. You left me for someone else, but I'm the one who really loves you, and I'll be there when that relationship ends and you need me. Guy just needs to realize she was the right one all along. The vocal delivery and the instrumental performances lift this version of the song far above the original, in my opinion. This became a regular in Janice's live sets, and it was the second single from the album that reached number 42 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. 
The following track is A Woman Left Lonely, written by Dan Penn and Spooner Oldham. Lou, lead us off. Yeah, a woman left lonely will do crazy things. She's feeling she's taken for granted. She don't understand. She's got hot flashes from too much unburned love. She's a victim, but she's doing the best she can. What's the lyric? Makes a touchy situation when a good face comes into your head. Wait a minute. She's rubbing one out. <laughs> I see what she did there. Flicking the thing. <laughs> it's ironic that this song was written by two dudes, though. Uh, Spooner Oldham uh, was part of the Muscle Shoals rhythm section, and uh, he was also in Drive By Truckers. I don't know. But anyway, he's the he's one of the two that wrote the song. Another great tune. I, I can't say anything bad about anything that this woman does. Sam. And I love how that starts off with a piano and voice. It's really pretty. And, and I, I love it even more when the Procol Harum Hammond organ kicks in. It's just like, ah. Yes. Yes. Nice. I put yep. that together, too. Thank you. Yeah, and, and I'm, a, I'm a sucker for songs that build like this. You know, this is, a lot of dynamics... Oh man, this is a fucking awesome. And Janice again is teaching us how to love a little bit, maybe love herself a little bit. And <laughs> I'm a big fan, man. This is three in a row. This is this going to be a one of those albums where it's hard to pick the stinky sneaker? No, nope. <laughs> it's not hard <laughs> at all. But, it's not hard <laughs> at all. <laughs> right, right. I know. I know. <laughs> but it's starting out like one that's going to be hard, man. And this is going to. Uh, that's what she said. That uh, this is going to be, this is three great songs in a row. And man, this song right here, uh, I played this for uh, you know uh, my girlfriend Nelda, the lovely Nelda uh, that she likes to say, and um, she she really likes this song too. So yeah, she likes rubbing one out too every now and then. She lets me watch. <laughs> all right, outstanding. <laughs> Leave that in there. Okay. All right, all right. <laughs> She can listen to sit in the car while she's taking her friends to lunch. <laughs> 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 Ray, what do you think? Uh, well, my very first note says it has a proco harem feel to it. Yeah. She's using some restraint in this one, reining in some of her astonishing vocal firepower and going for a lot more nuance. It's a great song full of emotion of a mistreated woman. She's had a lot of experience in this area. I listen to the song and I just go, who hurt this lady? But this is a, this is an awesome song. You know, Janice was a lot more than just a bombastic blues belter. Here she approaches another soulful bluesy number with some tasteful restraint, 
at least at first. She kind of caresses the lyrics and makes you feel the crushing loneliness of the narrator, who's missing her man so much that no matter how she tries to forget him or replace him with someone else, she can't stop thinking about him. The Full Tilt Boogie Band, again, provides sympathetic musical support to her, including a tastefully melodic organ solo from Pearson, so that when Janice eventually gets worked up enough to bring the powerful screams, the band matches her intensity. And Janice is feeling it, man. She tears out a final howl that oddly gets faded into the mix at the end. Uh, Maybe for once she was just too hot for the band to handle. I don't think that's true, but it was a weird production choice. This leans less on the gospel and more of the blue side of soul and shows off the entire group's versatility, which features throughout the album. The next track is Half Moon, written by John Hall and Johanna Hall. Sam, what do you think? Well, it starts off, I'm thinking, was this a Jackson 5? This is very <laughs> horny produced. This is funky as fuck, man. And Janice is still horny, and apparently I feel her like the mountains and the sea, because <laughs> I got it like that. Thanks, Janice. And the good <laughs> guitars on this record are the best of her career. In fact, this this band, we said this earlier, but this band is the best band that she's had back in her. Every body <laughs> is, like, really fucking great musicians. And, and man, this is wonderful song uh, it's just four in a row that's four in a row aaron amazing yeah it's fucking amazing is this going to be five stars i don't mm. know prof what do you think <laughs> well janice is in love for this song uh i read a review that said the writer said if a woman sang to me like this i would know i was doing something right which i mean pretty much nails it uh, i do like how this song kind of moves in on steady waves how the the band comes in on that She's happy, and this bouncy tune really shows it. And like Sam said, it's funky. Love it. Lou? Doesn't it start out like the music that you heard on the Brady Bunch when somebody switched on the radio and all the kids started dancing in the backyard, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever? You're like, yeah, this is groovy. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! You know, um, <laughs> it, it's actually, it's got a lot of San Francisco sound to it. Um, it's sort of a mashup of the dead and the airplane on this one. Yes. Yeah. It's got, it's got a very Yorma Jerry ish lead to it. Um, that's what I got, except it's, you know, might I say superior to them? Fuck. Yeah. These guys could bring the funk and everyone gets into the act. Till plays the funky guitar licks while Campbell and Clark Pearson keep that funk rhythm moving. With additional percussion from Bobby Hall on congas and bongos and Sandra Crouch on tambourine. Bell plays some cool-ass piano fills all over the track, including in the pauses in the choruses after the build-ups. While Ken Pearson adds some staccato organ that sounds like 70s funk personified. But not to be outdone, Janice proves herself comfortable with this material as well. Her vibrato nearly acting as additional percussion, the Texas twang in her voice coming out and occasionally taking prominence. The lyrics reflect total elation over a relationship. Her man's love fills her like the mountains in the sea, giving life to her as vast as the night sky, stars, and heaven's eyes. 
Did I mention the versatility of the band? They smoothly switch styles and it just feels natural. They handle it with ease. What a band. The following track is Buried Alive in the Blues, written by Nick Gravenides. your thoughts well this is a backing track which he had not yet recorded the vocals for the band had laid down their parts on friday october 3rd janice was scheduled to lay down the vocals on october 5th but she died on the 4th we all know that she died of an od it was believed she was given heroin that was uh uncut or cut with something that was a little potent and uh that's what she OD'd on, and that was because somebody else thought that there were several other, other of her dealer's customers that seemed weakened, also kind of passed away. So he great numbers for him. The songwriter Nick Gravenides was offered the opportunity to sing it as a tribute to Joplin, but he turned it down, so the song ended up as an instrumental. I had never heard his version, but I was curious. And I heard it, and it was very slow. Janice would have made this one her own easily. To me, this song starts off and sounds like uh, one of those zany HR pup and stuff themes. <laughs> um, I love the carnival organ runs and that gritty distorted guitar throughout this. The full tilt boogie band is fully tilted. And like everybody said many times before, this is, was a solid, solid band. Lou. You could hear all the new tech of the day in this, you know, the fuzz tones. Like a, a, out of an I Dream a Genie episode, you know, when our evil sister showed up. <laughs> Def- Defender oh, Rose. <laughs> you remember her in the blue costume? You know? Yes. Darling. <laughs> <laughs> I always figured that, you know, she was the one that took it up the. Um, anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> up the lamp <laughs> yeah. up the lamp <laughs> come here Tony <laughs> stick your lamp up my butt <laughs> my wife turned to me and said if you put the light out I'll let you stick it up my butt <laughs> she said that to you right now I guess uh, I should have let it cool first. <laughs> <laughs> Defender Rhodes stuck in there between the Hammond uh, and the piano is a nice touch. I kept waiting for Janice to show up in this track, but she never does. And I learned that's exactly what happened was she had died the, the day before or so and, and was supposed to record this tune with and Roth, Rothschild put it in as a tribute to her. It would have made a good band showcase, I guess, uh, sort of like the blues brothers, you know, with, I can't turn you loose, you know, kind of a rave up to her coming out, but you know, say la vie. Sam, what do you think? Um, I agree with what Lou and prof said, but for me, you know, it's fine. It's okay. It's nice. solos from everyone. You know, everybody gets to showcase the piano and organ are particularly good, but for me, this is, 
as far as the album goes, it's filler. Um, and maybe it would have been fucking fantastic if Janice were staying on it, but it doesn't fit for me because there's it's Janice record and Janice isn't there. So, you know, it's okay. It's good. It's fine. So I was going to give a detailed uh, description of the background on this track, but the professor did it way better than I ever could. So I'm going to skip that part and just go to, they inexplicably put this on the record anyway. And I mean, hey, it's another 70s style funk workout that showcases nicely all of our players, especially Ken Pearson on organ again. But without the vocals, it makes me think of either a 70s cop TV show theme or else it vaguely reminds me of the theme music for Sanford and Son. For some reason, I pick up that <laughs> yeah. kind of vibe. <laughs> Streetwalker, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Is this really necessary to fill out the album? You put a track on a Janis Joplin record without Janis on it. So just serve it up on a silver platter for me, boys. This is Aaron Stinky Stinker. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you didn't put Mercedes Benz. I thought about it. <laughs> Oh, come on. Mercedes-Benz. Are you kidding me, Prof? <laughs> uh, hey, sometimes you never know. You've, you've, you've got me on a couple of them. Oh, yeah, you surprised me on a few. Yeah, I, I've got a slider or two in my arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> so let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on My Baby, written by Jerry Ragavoy and Mort Schumann. I tell you what, Lou, your thoughts. I love the organ volume swells. Um, Just fucking amazing. This band is tight as a whip. It's just a great blues number with a little bit of soul drizzled on top. Uh, She was good, so good at uh, emoting. I just want to curl up in mama's lap and, you know, have her stroke my cheek and sing to me you know it's just a it, everything's all right what's the lamp in you right <laughs> definitely puts the lamp in you. you know working hard nothing's gonna bother her. she's got her baby all she's got to do is call her daddy's name she's content happy because she's got security she's looked long and hard and now she's got her man there's nothing else she needs And, you know, you believe her. You believe every fucking word that this woman says. Another great track. Love it. Sam. Well, when they tell me that love is pain, I said it might be true for you, honey, but not for Janice no more. No, 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 no. (laughs) God Turn into Paul Stanley when you're fucking listening to Janice Joplin. (laughs) Oh, 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 yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. We do. Except we can sing with a little more emotion than that fucking jack off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Aaron. I don't. I'm not a. I don't, uh, anyways, <laughs> but man, this song I hadn't heard it in a long time. I mean, relatively a long time. But uh, this is the one that I've been humming the most, you know, through this week. And man, I fucking love this song. And I don't, 
<laughs> it's one stinker is uh but five fucking killer tracks it's just a great album man i, I love it prof once again, Janice just delivers us with such honesty. I hear this song, and I just wish this woman could have found a man that treated her right. The song is a smoldering blues crooner that plods along with that fantastic voice that's stretched in parts but never strains. And I just love it. It's a fantastic guitar solo. This time we get a gospel-tinged bluesy waltz with cool volume swell effects from both the guitar and the organ. And as always, that piano is just banging away. Richard Bell sounds divinely inspired like a gospel pianist. John Till gets in a short guitar solo that's rooted in the blues. The big open chorus has backing vocals that sound like a choir behind Preacher Janus. And yes, Janus Preach, tell us all about how as long as you've got your baby, everything's going to be all right. Sing it, sister. There's a moment when the music drops out after the solo section and it's just Janice's voice against the echo of the piano and you can hear a hard-lived life in those stuttered notes with just a hint of labored breath before she leads us back into the waltz and we're taken away again. Preach, Janice! Hallelujah! The next track is Me and Bobby McGee written by Chris Christopherson and Fred Foster. Freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose Nothing, that's all that Bobby left me But a feeling good was easy loud when he sang the blues A feeling good was good enough for me <laughs> Good enough for me and my Bobby You like this one, Sam? Yes, I do. Um, there has been some ear burn over the years with this song, I'm sure, with uh, anyone. But this song is, uh, excuse me, I got uh, something, something to say. I had a band with Tony Thomas uh, that's been on the guest on the podcast uh, in high school, and we call it Any Color You Like. And there's your Pink Floyd re- reference, because we named it after a Pink Floyd song. Yeah. And, and uh, it was Tony, Kevin Tatarek, Stacy Casper, and myself. Stacy, she sang, and uh, we were going to play the freshman orientation. We were a junior. Stacy was a senior, and um, they wouldn't let us play White Rabbit because, uh, you know, for obvious reasons. <laughs> but I, I, they let us play this song, even though there's an obvious heroin reference in it. <laughs> and uh, it was great, man. We had, uh, you know, rehearsed, and, and what we did uh, in the song where, you know, it goes, la da 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 it was like we slowed it down to even halftime. You know, the drums slow down, everybody pulls back, and Stacy would go, da 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 da. But then, you know, when it, everybody kicks in, we went double time, man. And Kevin uh, just went off, man. And the entire gym just stood up and erupted. And that was the first time I'd ever had that kind of a feeling to where, holy shit, they like us. You know, it's like, this is great. And Tony played a ripping solo over this. And I've always loved this song for that reason. But it's a great fucking song, and she she uh, sings it in a way that everybody can relate to it because I mean she tells the story that you know it was quite obviously Chris Christopherson's song, but she she tells us it like it's from her, you know. You believe it, you believe uh, Janice's version. I don't believe any of the other versions. You know what I mean? 
but everyone has heard this song, and I have nothing to add other than I love this song. And you, but there's, it's a there's a reason that's a, it's her biggest hit, you know. And I think like you know people that cover Janice can't really do it, you know. And this, this I know this was a cover song, but like when Faith Hill tries to cover, you know, the Janice song, it's fucking horrible. Or like when Winger covers <laughs> Purple Haze, or when Limp, <laughs> <laughs> Limp Biscuit covers uh, The Who, you know. <laughs> you just want to punch somebody, man. <laughs> this song is sacred. It's it's the reason it's our biggest hit, and um, it should be protected at all, at all costs. <laughs> Prof. Okay, this is this is Marcy and I's parenting skills. There are three songs that my kids have known since they were little. They know every single word to. Two of them are on this album. The other one is the Rolling Stones. You can't always get what you want. Hell yeah. Uh, this one is a song, a song that's written by a high school friend of my late father-in-law from Brownsville, Texas, Chris Christopherson. Hmm. It's a good country tune with that Western swing, which is something I gather most of you don't know anything about, but that's what it is. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> the steel guitar and that organ, along with some chicken picking twang guitar. Got some great lines in it. I trade all to my tomorrows for one single yesterday. I don't know about you guys, but I've missed someone that much. Um, when she picks up with the na 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 Bobby McGee's, you can picture her on stage slapping her hip with a tambourine as that honky tonk piano vamps, and then the organ comes in for a brief solo, and then the guitar, and then she screams, "Whoa!" Um, this is by far her greatest studio recording. Its eloquent restraint is all the more effective in communicating the song's heartbreak. Um, Christopherson, who had been Janice's lover not long before her death, cried when he heard her version of the song. Did we do this? He reportedly asked as he stood before her dead body. Unlike you, Sam, I've never gotten ear burn on her version, but there have been many bars that I've walked into where somebody's singing this, and I wanted to fling things at them like the Blues Brothers. <laughs> so You can't do it. You can't do well, this, man. <laughs> you, you can, you're just not, you're not coming back. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got a couple places I'm never coming back to, but you know, hey, but that's what I got for this one. Lou. Yeah, this is one of those songs that's just so ingrained in my brain that I have a hard time critiquing it. Uh, first of all, I never knew the real words. Um, I mean, I did, but I kind of didn't, but it's like breathing is just another word for nothing left to lose. Sort of like the, you know, wrapped up like a douche, you know, the runner in that. <laughs> hey, it's Bruce. <laughs> it's, in, it's impossible not to sing this, even if it's, it, it is phonetically all the way through until the end, you know, at the top of your lungs, if you're alone in the car, especially the na-na-na-na-na-na-na and all of that shit. It, it's, it's a great tune. It's an obvious hit. It's probably the most strained song I've ever heard her do. Except at the end where she sounds like that drunk bridesmaid at the on a Nashville tour bus. It's like, <laughs> <"Woo!"> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that bottle is so comfort. That's <laughs> a wild, wild broad, man. Good for her. Me and Bobby McGee. Great <laughs> tune. 
So we actually covered this song on the podcast way <laughs> back on episode 99, which was the first edition of Sister Shannon's Women in Rock song compilation. And yep. listeners, if you haven't heard that, you should check it out. So I'm going to repeat a lot of what I said then just by default, because, you know, those who haven't heard that have never heard me review this. So this has Janice herself on acoustic guitar. And the backing accompaniment gives this a country music flavor. And as it picks up, that blues rock element creeps in and towards the end, and the band jams out a bit with a nice guitar and organ solo. It was written by Chris Christofferson, with whom Janice had a brief relationship, and that songwriter-producer, Fred Foster. And the title character was written as a female, named after a studio secretary. The song was originally recorded by Roger Miller that reached number 12 on the country charts and featured Tijuana-styled horns. But Janice changed the gender of Bobby to male and sings the tale of two drifters who hitch a ride with a truck driver and travel through the American South all the way to Nolens. They bond on the trip, but part ways once they get there, and the narrator feels the loss like Bobby's the one that got away. She loved the way he sang the blues. Now, I remember, there. I think this is going to be similar to something you were talking about, Ray. There were two songs on this record that really stood out to me when I was little, little, little. You know, like like a year old, two years old, and my dad was playing this. This was one of them. I didn't know it was a hit. To me, this was always the no na 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 song. And Janice was a no na 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 singer to me. That's what she was to me. I love the line, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. And I love the way Janice kind of slurs at the end of each chorus. Good enough for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is one of Janice's best known songs. And this was a monster hit, reaching number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. The following track is Mercedes Benz, written by Janice Joplin, Bob Newworth, and Michael McClure. Won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends. Worked hard all my lifetime. No help from my friends. So, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a color TV? Dialing four dollars is trying to find me. I wait. Ray, let's have it. Well, this is the second song that uh, we all used to sing along to on road trips. All I could do, I could text my kids right now and say, I'd like to do a song of great social and political import, and they would all start singing it. Yep. So, <laughs> um, of course, this was recorded in one take, kind of like as a goof. I read a great review on it. I'm just going to take this guy's from, and I didn't get his, his, who it was, but he said, it's the sort of performance that calls up the memory of an overcompensating young girl who was not the prettiest girl at the party, but who was going to get her share of attention anyway. On October 1st, 1970, Janice laid down the acapella take of Mercedes-Benz, a song that she co-wrote. This would be the last song she ever recorded. Three days later, she was dead at the age of 27. But, I mean, who doesn't sing along to this one? Lou. I think this is one of those songs that I've just been singing since I'm a toddler. It's so simple. It's so honest. Um, it's she, she was so, so honest. Her foot, her and her foot tapping. It's, it, it's an ironic critique at consumerism. 
it's funny coming from someone with a psychedelic painted Rolls Royce, but that laugh at the end just reminds me of, um, tell them large Marge sent you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I heard wavy gravy. Remember him? Yeah. 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 yeah, he said that that laugh at the end is always that he said that's that's the essence of Janice right there. That just exactly. always reminds yeah. him of her. Yeah. Sam, what do you think? Well, uh, <laughs> I love his uh, just my favorite acapella song of all time. Uh, I can't think of anything better. I can think of some uh, acapella group names like Here Comes Trouble and, uh, you know, the Tone Rangers and, you know, stuff like that. But uh Hurt, you know, the words it is of great of social and political import, in my opinion, because she's I think she's uh being sarcastic, you know, because you know, Lord, once you buy me a color TV, well, there were Porsche and it's a Porsche, not a Rolls Royce that she has, it's painted up psychedelically, right? It was a fucking Porsche, I'm pretty okay. sure, anyways. Anyways, her God doesn't God doesn't work like that, and and Janice knows it, and that said. This is a sperm of the moment song and uh, from an icon, and I love it. So the story goes that San Francisco beat poet Michael McClure wrote the first line that went, come on, God, and buy me a Mercedes Benz. Janice heard it sung by a friend of McClure's, and she began to sing it too, kind of riffing and adding new lyrics, which were copied down on bar napkins by songwriter Bob Newworth. And as we, as the professor said, it was recorded a cappella in one take on October 1st, 1970, the very last thing she ever recorded. And Janice is asking the Lord for a Mercedes-Benz car, a color TV, and a night on the town. She really wheels out the Southern accent on this, and her little laugh at the end, it's, it's endearing to me. We've already said that, too. This was the other song that made the big impression on me as a kid. And is it a joke song or a comment on American consumerism? Well, Janice does tell us this is a song of great social and political import. I believe her. Everybody, oh Lord, won't you buy me? <laughs> the penultimate track is Trust Me, written by Bobby Womack. Give me time, give me time, please, a little more time. Take some road and run just a little bit longer, dear. I want to make up my mind, I got to make up my mind. At 27, she had this old soul wisdom that was really hard to deny. She delivers the line, the older the grape, the sweeter the wine. You believe her. She transforms into a haggard gin joint blues singer from a pimply-faced white girl very, very easily. She delivers these tunes with an old-fashioned wisdom that really... Few could match Billie Holiday, you know, all the the old greats. But I love the chord progressions and the changes. The band is the real star of this track. They really know how to prop her up and let her shine. And shine she does. Trust me. Uh, I do. Sam. I trust her too, man. I really dig the way she uh, delivers this song. Um, 
I really love that slinky guitar riff in the background. It's another great performance. And this band is perfect for her. And, and Rothschild is perfect for her. And um, it's, it's a great fucking song, man. It's, it's all, this, this is when I, I started to get sad. You know, I started to get sad when listening to this song, uh, this record over the week. Uh, when it starts hitting, it's like, I really start to get sad because I start thinking about what she could have been. Because this band would have went with her and maybe made some incredible. And we've said that about all all, all of the 27 Club, except for Kurt Cobain, that uh, <laughs> this, these people would have been fucking incredible and would have even furthered our palates in, with, in, in music, man. And, and I, I love it. I love this song. This is only one bad song in this whole fucking record, man. <laughs> so was it eight out of nine so far? It's not even a bad song either. Yeah. It's a great song, right? No, just if Janice put a vocal on it, it you yeah, we would probably be singing right. it all. Per- yeah, it's just yeah. unfinished. Yes, and yeah. it's not. Yeah, yeah. Ray, well, you, you know, you, Bobby Womack wrote this song for her, and the way she delivers it, and when I heard Lou talking, all I could think of was when she was growing up in Port Arthur, Texas which, by the way, is a city that if you ever visit right now, it's a place that I would barely consider slowing down at a stoplight. So I would just probably floor it. It's not a nice place anymore. But she, where it is, she was right along the carcinogenic coast, as we like to refer to it. But it goes right into Baton Rouge and right into to New Orleans. New Orleans is literally an hour away from Baton Rouge. And where are you going to get the blues? Right there. Yeah. And she just delivers that with that same sort of, you can hear her tap into her inner, inner Bessie Smith while she's conjuring the spirit of Otis Redding at yep. the same time. Yeah. So much yes. so that I think Otis could have probably sang this song and done it equal justice. And he would be the only other person that could have. Um, Agreed. You know, yeah. I hear this song and that fade out of it. Fade outs usually just drive me nuts. But I just I, it leaves me wanting more. So and then once again, Grand Parsons comes up. She sure could sing. That's all I can ever think of when this song ends. Hmm. this is really cool uh, this part of the reason why i love doing this podcast so much is was while you guys are giving your reviews it made me think about my own review of this it, it made me it, it makes me look at it in a, maybe a different perspective what I, i'll get to that what i mean by that is yeah i agree with you prof about otis redding and you know this is it, it, it's rarefied air that could handle a tune like this mm-hmm this was written for Janice by Bobby Womack, rest in peace. It's an R&B tune with that gospel organ still hanging around, featuring acoustic guitar played by Womack himself, in which he adds some cool flamenco-styled fills. The band's game, as always, they handle the musical backing with ease, and the rhythm section in particular stands out and draws out the emotional core of the track. Clark Pearson's drum fills are stellar when the tempo increases and the beat becomes more strident. There's also that Latin percussion returning to add rhythmic diversity. Janice asks her lover to be patient with her. Give her time. The love they share will grow stronger if they will just trust her. Hang in there. Like almost all the tracks on this album, Janice's emotional intensity increases as the song progresses and her voice gets stretched at points, near to breaking, but there's no way that it will. Now, this track has never been a favorite of mine. And Sam, you said something that made me think, I think there's a sadness that I feel. Like we're getting to the end of the record and as we're getting close, I know it's going to be over. And that's all we're going to hear from Janice. This is it. 
I think that's part of what makes me go. This song is not one of my top favorites on the stuff. I just think there's a sadness that I feel as we're drawing near to the end of the record. That's the only way I can describe it. And that's the way you kind of said, Sam, I think that's, that's kind of hanging over me with it. Yeah. And that brings us to the final track, Get It While You Can, written by Jerry Ragavoy, Mort Schumann, and Howard Tate. How about this last one, Sam? Speaking of sad, man, um, this is a perfect way to end this record. And I really do think it was a perfect way. If this is going to be the last song we heard from Janice, then it's the perfect one. It's my favorite Janice song. And because it's like saying, it's like if, if, you're, if you can get love, if you can get happiness, if you can get joy, if you can get anything out of this life, that uh, brings you, uh, you know, even being content sometimes. Just get it while you fucking can, man, because it's it may not come ever if you can't get it while you can. And, and um, I get it kind of a, not not emotional over it because, I mean, it's not like I'm going to cry on a beer over this shit, but but I love her so much because uh, I guess because I, I grew up with this stuff. And, and um, it's really important to me. I think this... I think that's why it's my favorite Janice song is because it's the last one and, and it's such a great fucking song. And that when she uh, sings, you know, just get it while you can. Don't you turn your back on love. I just like, oh, damn it. And this reminds me of this. It really reminds me of this uh, girl that went to high school with us. Her name was Melissa Shelley. She sang. She was part of our, our friend group. She was a tiny little thing. She uh, sang and played guitar, and she was uh, a fucking phenomenal musician. And she went off to find her dream, and she went to uh, – I think she went to Hollywood. And then she went off to Seattle and was on her way home to see her parents and was killed in a car accident. And, man, I really – when I hear this song, I think of Melissa, man. I think of Melissa Shelley. She was – it's fucking incredible, and uh, I'm trying to get. I'm trying not to get choked out, dude. <laughs> but yeah, we we have to get it while we can. It's fucking true. It's true. That's all I got, Professor. Let's wash up, put on your Sunday best. We're going to church. Um, Janice is going full gospel on this one. The reason this one brings a sadness to me is because. You ever watch those YouTube videos of her when she's at her high school reunion? No. No, when yeah, she's oh all dressed gosh. everything and everybody's like looking at her like she's nuts. Yeah, they're looking at her like yeah. she's crazy. There, there's a pain in the voice that she's talking. They're interviewing her, and you can just see the hurt. And it just it's it, it it's painful to watch. And just get that love and affection while you can. It seems to me all of her relationships where guys were always it looks like the seems to me like all the guys were always looking for something better like they got her but what's better i just love how this song builds and builds and builds onto that emotional release it is a perfect closing track 
It just reminded me of what a powerful, muscular, energetic performer Janice was when she had a great band behind her, even more so. So this is just a great tune. I didn't know there was footage of that high school reunion. Yeah. I've only read about it. She's being interviewed by some dude in the press, and they're asking her, well, you surely you were asked to the prom. And she's like, no, they didn't nope. want to. And she's trying to joke it off, and then you can tell she's really in pain. Like, the whole thing was, I don't. They show it that when Lou brought up the rose, they show that that scene where she kind of went to the record store and tried to show who the guy who he was, who she was, and she could care he could care less. But I mean, they they treated her pretty badly in Port Arthur. I'm sure she, she was a complete enigma to them. And uh, you you know Jimmy Johnson from the Dallas Cowboys, right? Yeah, he grew up with her, went to the same high school with her, and was one of the people that she caught. She said treated her the worst. Yep. Yep. So, I knew that. Yep. It's just, you know, it's this woman had just, she did not have a happy life and certainly did not have a happy childhood growing up outside of her home. So, and I believe her family still lives. I think her, her sister lives in Houston now, which is not a hop, skip and a jump, but I think her, the rest of her family still lives in Port Arthur. Hmm. Lou. Get it while you can. Seems to be the motto of the early 70s. The world's in turmoil. You can't trust anybody. You might not be here tomorrow. So if someone bats their eyelashes at you, you better get some while you can. I love the sentiment. I really do. I miss the attitude. But nowadays, that ship has sailed, too. John Till gives the solo of the record. I'm surprised nobody's oh, yeah, mentioned cool. it. Um, that He really just nails making that guitar cry in desperation. Um, the band is in full tilt. It just, they fucking blow me away. It's been said before. It's a great closer to a really bittersweet record. Um, I wonder where she would have went from here. She had 60s ideals going into a 70s world of confusion. I wonder what would have been if she joined the Grateful Dead had her boyfriend, her ex-boyfriend, Pigpen, survived. And they hired her instead of Donna and Keith. She was too oh, big she, of a she, she would have been so much better. She would have been so much better than her. Right. I, I mean. Donna's great. I love Donna. I'm a Donna fan, but, you know, I, I, yeah, it would have been so much better to have Janice and Pig. Not that it would have ever happened. She was way too big for that. Yeah, no know, way. To just, you know, yeah. just be part of the Grateful Dead. But that would have been a cool tour. You know, I mean, they did it with Dylan. It would have made a great show. Anyway, get it while you can. A fucking phenomenal ender to, I mean, you know, what she didn't know was going to be a great career. But, you know, dude, it's, it's, it is what it is. I'm sorry she's gone. Dig that bouncy piano intro, taking us to a slow gospel blues with that familiar trick of slow rolling verses and big open choruses that let Janice project her voice. The Full Tilt Boogie Band, they provide the perfect support. Every guitar lick, cymbal crash, and organ swell serves the song and the singer. And this is what I have written down, Lou. John Till gets one more crack at a crying blue solo and he makes the most of it, bending the shit out of those notes. There's some debate about what the it is that Janice tells us to get. Is it love or is it sex? And I say, who gives a fuck? Because when you get a fuck or love or affection from someone willing, able, and desirable, if you want it, get it. If you need it, hold on to it. 
Don't turn your back on it. Janice was a free spirit in the matters of love. She had male and female lovers, and she went wherever her passions took her. On this track, she comes on like a preacher one more time. And if the sermon she's spouting involves getting yourself some nookie, well, shut my mouth and call me a believer in the gospel of Joplin. <laughs> now that the track by track is over, we'll go into our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a zero to five system with five being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a zero, which unfortunately joins Janice in the 27 Club. Sam, what are your final thoughts on Pearl? Um, this was uh, wonderful to revisit. It was uh, kind of emotional, but uh, I, I don't mind that. It's fine. Um, you need to get in touch with your inner bitch sometimes. <laughs> so I'm going, man, Janice was always there. And I didn't really understand until I got a little older why that dad and mom and my aunt Hollis and uh, and everyone that loved her so much because you know some of her songs are you know abrasive. They say that her song is hard to to get through. You know there there are some shriekiness and she does have that harshness about her voice. But I love that. I, I love that about other singers. And with this, if this is a the send off to Janice, then uh, I think it's it's a uh, it's worthy, and um, I'm going to give it five fucking stars, man. I think it's required listening to anybody that wants to uh, be a singer, be a musician, be an artist, be uh, whatever. If there's any artistic thing about you, then then you should listen to this fucking album, man. It's five fucking stars. Ray. I'm going to paraphrase a lot of what I read this week. Janice's real strength was her ability to synthesize her version of the blues into a commercially viable music. She did it with a decency and a brutal honesty. Like her idol, Billie Holiday, it was Joplin's struggle with drug addiction and her relationship woes that made her blues sound so convincing. Pearl would be a good record, well worth hearing and well worth owning without the burden of having to serve as a final testament. Janice hasn't exactly left us laughing since she's gone, but she has left us with some good music and quite a few good memories. That's not enough, but it's a lot. That was from Dan Heckman on Rolling Stone when he did this review in, in uh, August 1971. You have to kind of put this into perspective, too. There was a big void at the time musically. This was the first year in which no new Beatles album was coming out and no new Dylan album. If she would have lived, she would have been, she would have even blown up even bigger. Pearl is a convincing argument that Joplin might not only have been the premier blues singer of the era, but the premier singer of the day. I gave this one five supernovas. <laughs> Lou, this is one of those records that I just love. Um, but when I usually listen to Janis Joplin, I'll I'll go for a live album or an Essentials. Um, I usually forget about the lesser known stuff, but when I hear it, I appreciate what she, the band and the producers were trying to get across in this really unexpected final entry into her catalog. It created the standard for the future. It had some old hat production, instrumentation, songwriting, and even some ancient lyrical ideas, but it wasn't old hat at the time. It was cutting edge. And in that time, it, they made a fine product. It was miles ahead of the first album. 
which is also a gem in a very different way. But Pearl is more mature, more seasoned. Um, if Cheap Thrills was like a fire hose on full blast, just flopping around and smashing things in the yard, soaking everything. Pearl has the nozzle turned way down to like a concentrated stream. It's still as powerful, but now it's just blasting the dirt. It's blasting the dirt off the driveway. They called her ugly, but to me, she was beautiful. Um, they relentlessly tormented her mentally and physically because she didn't fit into an ideal that she wanted no part of. In her songs, she was a woman in need of love. She wanted to share herself with someone who'd give that love back. She's a, she was a strong woman in a man's world, and she wasn't afraid to speak up for what she believed in and speak up for her rights as a free human being to do what she wanted if it wasn't hurting anyone else. And that's what I always got from Janis Joplin, that honesty. And I'll give this record a five point zero five uh, i will give this record a five oh five stars it's a shame that this world couldn't have this lady for longer but sometimes the brightest stars burn out the fastest rest in peace janice joplin Jimi hendrix jim morrison brian jones ron pigpen mckernan and all the other many many talented 27 club members who, be it from disease, foul play, drugs, or misadventure, were taken from us far too soon. In February 1970, Janis Joplin traveled to Brazil with a friend where she attempted to get clean from her heavy drug and alcohol dependence. By this time, she was world-renowned as a singer virtually without peer. After coming to prominence in the mid-60s with the group Big Brother and The Holding Company, a band she outgrew and left, and with her first solo project, The Cosmic Blues Band, with which she put out her first solo album, I Got Dem Old Cosmic Blues Again, Mama, in the fall of 1969. But her substance abuse was affecting her performances, including appearances at the Woodstock Music Festival and Madison Square Garden, and she went on vacation in Brazil as a means to get her act together and get clean, and she appeared to be successful, even striking up a new romance with an American tourist. When she returned to the United States, Janice formed a new backing band, first known as Main Squeeze and then renamed the Full Tilt Boogie Band, made up of Canadian musicians associated with Ronnie Hawkins much in the same way as Bob Dylan plucked the Hawks from Ronnie Hawkins and renamed them the band years earlier. Unfortunately, Janice also resumed shooting heroin and her old habits returned in full force. Nonetheless, the new band gelled well with Janice and they performed well-received concerts throughout the summer of 1970, as well as making a few television appearances on The Dick Cavett Show. On August 14, 1970, Janice attended her high school class reunion, which dug up past humiliation and bullying trauma and did not go well. Then in late August, Janice and her band rehearsed and began recording sessions for a new album in Los Angeles with fame producer Paul Rothschild, which carried through September into early October. The sessions, by all accounts, went well, and during this period, Janice was staying at the Landmark Motor Hotel in Hollywood because her home was undergoing renovations, and though she initially was attempting to stay clean, she soon once again began using heroin. The last recording she completed was Mercedes-Benz on October 1st, 
and on the evening of October 4th, she was found dead on the floor of her hotel room of a heroin overdose by a road manager. The music world was shocked at her death, especially since it came on the heels of the death of Jimi Hendrix just 16 days earlier, both artists 27 years old. Though Janice passed before she finished recording, there was enough material already completed to assemble the album that became Pearl, released three months after her death on January 11, 1971. It performed well, reaching number one in the U.S. for nine weeks and going quadruple platinum. The album cover features Janice reclining on a Victorian-era love seat with feathers in her hair and a drink in her hand. This album has been with me almost my entire life. It features a range of influences in musical styles, rock, funk, blues, country, folk, gospel, that all sound comfortable together. It sounds like it's in everybody's wheelhouse. The Full Tilt Boogie Band provide a terrific foundation for Janice to do her thing over, and she delivers. Janice was a one-of-a-kind talent, imitated but never equaled. When you listen to Janice sing, you can hear every ounce of passion, pain, vulnerability, and elation that she's feeling. It's like a direct link to her soul that she allows us to get a glimpse of. She lived a hard life, full of ups and downs. She went through some hardships, some trauma, and that also informs her performances on this record. There's an underlying weariness that seeps into her voice at times and makes you feel for this woman even more. Janis Joplin didn't live a long life, but it was an impactful one, and her status as a rock icon and one of the great singers of all time is secure. I give Pearl a four and a half, and as I said earlier, I hadn't listened to this record in quite some time, but that's a mistake I won't repeat. And though we've already acknowledged this on the podcast, it deserves to be repeated. From the R4 podcast, Janice Lynn Joplin. Rest in peace. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast on all the podcasting platforms wherever you listen to them. If you like what you hear, please subscribe or follow the podcast and leave us a review. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com or also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. If you feel the podcast has value and would like to make a contribution to support it, please head over to Patreon and the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews page and sign up on one of the monthly tiers. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for the R4 Podcast, I'm Aaron. I'm Sam. And I'm Ray. I'm Lou. See ya. Let's head over into a track-by-track analysis of this album. We begin the proceedings with Move On, written by Janis Joplin. Move over. Why did I say? What did I say? Holy fuck. That, that's a Auto correct. Nice song. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> wow, I think I broke my toe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, seriously? <laughs> no. Oh, I'm about to say. <laughs> I'm the Legos? I'm the Legos? <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, dude, is it because I made you sing that again? <laughs> yeah, I gotta jam my fucking toe in the door every time I do it. <laughs> Cry, baby! Cry! Right. Gonna...
right. I'm sweating my nuts off. I had to shut the AC off. <laughs> I'm going to be wringing my shirt out by the time this episode's over. All right. What, what fo- is it, 80 up there? What's what, what? Yeah, 80, 80, 84 with high humidity, Prof. I'm dying. I'm melting. Oh, humidity always gets it. Yeah. yeah.